Llegaron los Propane Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specride para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios. The Steelers made a move Wednesday morning that might signal that they're bringing back a former player. We'll talk about that, what that means at the edge rusher position, but also we got to talk about, about the Penguins losing a game that could b- bounce them from the playoffs, what they might, what they need to stay alive, and if they can stay alive in their playoff hopes to keep that streak alive, and the dramatic walk-off winner for the Pittsburgh Pirates at PNC Park, all right here on an action-packed North Shore Drive episode. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive Podcast, a show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, hosted by Christopher Carter. Hello and welcome to the North Shore Drive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, talking all things Pittsburgh sports here for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, where you can find us at post-gazette.com. You can find this show on all our favorite podcasting platforms, as, as well as YouTube. Like this video, if you're on YouTube, subscribe to this channel to get all of the daily content that comes out from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, as well as the Monday, Wednesday, Friday episodes of the North Shore Drive Podcast. We have back Ray Fittipato, who so kindly filled in uh, for me uh, when I was going on Monday with Brian Batko. But Ray, want to talk to you about a small move that could be leading to a bigger move. The Steelers announced uh, early Wednesday morning, actually while I was setting up for this show, that they had released outside linebacker Jameer Jones. And, of course, Jameer Jones, as you noted, had kind of taken the spot off of Malik Reed when it came to the edge rushing position uh, coming off the bench for the Steelers. And, of course, now that signals that if they're doing that, they're probably setting up for another move, and immediately everyone wonders, is this setting up Bud Dupree? Ray, how do you read this playing out? Are we reading too much into the uh, Bud Dupree return there? Yeah, I mean, what it tells you is they weren't happy with anyone that they had on the roster um, other than T.J. Watt um, and Alex Smith last year. I mean, the last man standing right now is Quincy Roche, and he's bounced around the league with, uh, you know, including a stint with the Steelers. Uh, the year he was drafted. So, um, you know, the, the timing of this is a little bit odd. I will say that, Chris. Um, you know, if you're a number three outside linebacker, usually, you know, you're, you're staying on the roster until camp. And, you know, if they bring in competition, maybe they'd cut you during camp. But, you know, to have this happen now is a little bit odd. But, again, um, he was the number three guy by the end of last year. But, I think he played less than 100 snaps. You know, he was only in there eight to 10 snaps per game late in the season. So, you know, it's not like they're losing uh, a guy they were going to count on last year. I think we could all agree yeah. that there was going to be a new number three guy, um, you know, for, for the 2023 season. But again, I just, I, I'm not really sure about the timing and, and why it happened, um, you know, when it did. Is Bud Dupree a realistic target for the Steelers? They brought him in for a visit. You, you, know, you mentioned how, uh, and, and you and Jerry were talking about how you know, there wasn't financial things discussed. There probably was a physical done there. Uh, is that a realistic thing at this point, or has, has that ship kind of sailed for the Steelers, do you think? I don't know that it sailed. And uh, yeah, he did take a physical when he was here. And 
by all accounts, you know, he's got a clean bill of health. That that won't be an issue going forward. Um, you know, I, I think for Bud, I think he just has to decide um, what kind of money he wants to play for in the latter stages of his career. Um, you know, he had a nice run with the Steelers. He got paid a lot of money being a franchise tag. And then, he, of course, he signed the big deal with the Titans. So, you know, is he ready to step back and make, you know, 75% of what he was going to make? In Tennessee, um, or is he still going to, you know, hold out and, and maybe, um, you know, try to get something later in the summer? I, you know, the Steelers would probably like to get that situated before the draft. I think it's always nice um, to go into the draft not knowing that you have to draft a certain position. But, again, Chris, we've been talking about this since January. It's a very good – it's a very deep class of edge rushers. So they do have to go out and get a guy in this draft – We'll have plenty of opportunities to do that um, with one of their four picks in the top 80. They'll have that chance. Nolan Smith is the guy I think that intrigues me the most as potentially one of those first round guys that could slip down because he's he's not big like you know Lucas Van Ness is six foot five, Tyree Wilson six foot six, uh, but Nolan Smith six two two thirty eight and ran a four three nine at the at the forty yard dash at the combine. So he kind of wows people. He's and also Miles Murphy, Clemson, you know, one of those bigger guys. Nolan Smith is one of the, the bigger names up there. But are there guys in maybe like the second and third round range that you think? are really good fits for what the Steelers could be getting, could want as a backup edge rusher to kind of keep those, keep their, their pass rushers fresh throughout the game. Yeah. I mean, the, the nice thing for the Steelers is they don't need a guy who's going to come in and be a starter. Right. So they can right. get a guy, um, you know, not a project, but a guy who's, who's you're going to groom maybe to have a starter's role two and three years down the road. So um, they brought in USC outside linebacker, uh, Tuli Tuwapalotu, I hope I got that name right, and they just brought in Robert Beal um, on uh, on Tuesday. So those are two guys. I think they got, what, 12 visits left, Chris? So I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they had a few more edge rushers in their final visits here over the next week or so before those top 30 visits wrap up. So, um, yeah, there, there are plenty of edge rushers that, that they could look to. Um, you know, they were plenty of pro days. Um some of the bigger name pro days you mentioned, Clemson. Um, you know they were at Iowa, of course. Um, they were at Iowa State for McDonald. So you mm-hmm. know there, there's a lot of, you know there's a lot of questions about McDonald. Is he a surefire first round pick, or is he a little bit on the light side too? Because you get him at 32. Um, I don't know that you can get him at, at 49, but you know he he would be a guy top of the second round that uh, might be very intriguing. You know a guy who could probably play at that weight as a rookie, but you bulk him up, bulk him up, and all of a sudden he's 250 pounds by 2024, and then you got yourself a nice little rotation going forward. Absolutely. They've also brought in Keon White out of Georgia Tech, who can you know play a little bit inside, but also play plays on the edge there. Um, they, you know, also with the visit, while we're talking about Miles Murphy, KJ Henry, uh, a later edge rushing prospect, projected to be a second, third round pick. There, there's a like you're like you said earlier. This is a great class as far as if you're trying to draft for depth uh, right now at, at different positions and for drafting for and, and if you need to wait on certain positions. You know, we've talked about how how deep cornerback is and, and edge rushers another one another one of those guys. You might be we might be seeing 
the Steelers going corner and edge rusher in the second and third rounds after that after their day one pick um, right right here. Also, B.J. Ojulari of uh, LSU, another guy that I think that would be worthy of being a day two pick there for the Steelers. I think that part of what they're what the Steelers are trying to do here, like you said, you know, they want to not go in having needs, and that's why they might be considering like Bud Dupree or just another free agent that they're bringing in to have their first guy off the bench. But if they could have a legitimate four-man rotation that they're excited of their edge rushers so that T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith can come off the field and you don't feel like you're losing as much. Whereas like last year when T.J. Watt was hurt and or when him and Alex Highsmith were healthy, but they had to come off just to give them rest, you know, there was a significant drop-off. You didn't get nearly as much pressure. There wasn't as much ceiling on the runs. If they could get Bud Dupree or, or a talent like him, a veteran, just to come in and be solid, give you occasional pressure, not be a uh, liability in the run in the run game, and then have a rookie who maybe you're developing behind all three of those guys and you know isn't fully polished but is at least giving you some sort of advantage and some sort of burst of, burst of youth, I think that could be – and you know a, a small but a nice advantage to have on your roster, so that you keep your edges healthy and 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 fresh throughout the game. And then when you're at the early part of the fourth quarter, where you know the Steelers like to have their guys at their best, you don't have T.J. Watt, Gaspin Ferrer, and Alex Highsmith, you know, beat up from the whole game. They've got fresh legs, and that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that wears down offensive lines and helps you win games in uh, you know late in later points of the game. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I think in an ideal world, they would do what they did in 2020, get a guy like Highsmith in the third round, right? Mm. Um, and then you had that unfortunate situation with Dupree at the end of 2020 where he was injured and Highsmith had to step in. Yeah, And, uh, you know, he was ready. I, I thought he did fine. And then, of course, he he's taken steps 2021, 2022. We all know where he is right now. Um the only difference now is, you know, are you more worried about T.J. Watt and his injury history? Do you maybe need to invest a second-round pick in an mm. edge guy just in case maybe Alex Highsmith or T.J. Watt goes down so you don't go through that nightmarish situation like you did last year? So I could see them dipping into the second round for an edge rusher. That would not surprise me at all. But, I, you know, I think third round, definitely one of the top four picks. You know, they got 17-32 49 and 80. Um, I'm thinking because they didn't address this position of free agency, they're going to use one of those premium pricks, uh, picks on an edge rusher. Absolutely. It's 412 day here in Pittsburgh, which means tomorrow, March, two weeks from the NFL draft. We'll have all the coverage and all the, the, pre- the prep that you need to get ready for the Steelers NFL draft plans as the draft starts on Thursday night. April 27th. But before any of that happens, there's a lot of other sports to be played here in Pittsburgh. The Penguins lost a tough one to the Blackhawks last night. We'll talk about that and how that impacts their plans with Matt Benzel, our, our Penguins beat, beat reporter here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We'll also talk some Pirates a little bit after that. So stay tuned here on the North Shore Drive podcast. But first, before we do any of that, I want to talk to you guys about our, one of our great sponsors, GameTime.co, where buying tickets to your favorite events won't be stressful because they're going to make it fast and easy to buy tickets for sports, sporting events, music events, comedy, and theater events near you. You get killer deals on last-minute tickets, and you get their best price guarantee that you, so you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have at the event that you're getting. The Game Time app, which you can download it to any mobile device right, right now, helps you book tickets at the last minute where if you didn't plan far out in advance or if you just didn't know if you'd be available, or let's say you just didn't know that like the Isley brothers were coming to Pittsburgh last week. I missed that, and I didn't even get a chance to do it because I was out of town. But if you have an event like that, 
Game Time is the app that's going to help you find tickets for the best price. And this isn't just concert or music. This is football games, basketball games, baseball games, concerts, anything. Game Time is there is there to help. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less somewhere else, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app create an, and create an account. You can use code P-I-T-T-PIT for $20 off your first purchase. That's P-I-T-T PIT, all capital letters, all one word, or go to their website, GameTime.co. Terms apply, create an account and redeem code PIT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Llegaron los Pro Paint Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specrite para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios. We're back here on the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We're now joined by our Penguins beat reporter, Matt Benzel, who joins us. Now, the Penguins coming off of a rough night, losing 5-2 to two to the Blackhawks, who, Matt, as you put in your postgame story, they were the lowly Blackhawks. They were next to, next to last in the Western Conference. And this was a catastrophic loss by, I think, all, by any means for the Penguins. They needed to win out to control their own destiny. Now their fate is in the hands of other teams, but... Focusing on this game, what went wrong against such a bad team? Well, I mean, the Penguins are the better team for 59 minutes or, or something close to it. Um, you know, they just had a hard time scoring on Peter Morazic When the score was 0-0 after one period, you could kind of feel some tension inside the building with the players and the fans. Um, but when Evgeny Malkin scored that goal early in the third period and made it 1-1, I mean, it seemed like, okay, they're going to take over the game from here. And it just was another one of those lapses from the Penguins that we've seen all year. They gave up two goals, I think, in 26 seconds. Um, you know, just kind of grimy, fluky goals that, um, you know, came after not even massive breakdowns by the Penguins. But just giving up two goals real, goal, two goals real quick was just devastating for the Penguins, and they were unable to recover. And, you know, in many ways it was, you know, if this is the end for the Penguins and it looks like it is for this team, I mean, that's a fitting way for them to go out because, you know, all year, anytime things went right for them, you know, whether they scored a goal, they would give one right back or whether they would get on a winning streak, they'd go on a losing skid. I mean, it seems like anytime they had a little bit of prosperity, they just kind of shoot it away. And, and that's exactly what happened, you know, both in terms of getting that win from the Capitals on Monday that put them back in control um, to what they did in the third period against the Blackhawks after Malkin tied it up. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And like you said, them controlling this game, they outshot the Blackhawks 40 to 27. They put themselves in, in that range. I just, I look at this and there's a lot of, a lot of finger pointing going around the uh, uh, Wednesday morning after the Tuesday night loss. You know, during the game, fans were chanting fire Hextall and, th- and things like that. What do you think is the biggest thing to blame if people want to point the finger at something because you could point the finger at roster construction but this seems like a game that the roster as constructed they should have been able to pull out yeah I mean we're talking about two different things here I mean you know I tweeted last night that I thought you know people tweeting 
Ron Hexler kind of missed the point last night. I mean, he's not done a good job this year. Um, the supporting cast is inadequate. Uh, he didn't do enough to stabilize the goaltending, and he's probably going to lose his job. But when you look at the talent and the coaching on the at ice level last night, the Penguins should have won this game. Um, and, and that falls on the players and it falls on the coaches. I mean, I, no doubt Hextall is to blame for a lot of stuff, but the Penguins have to win that game. Um, the Blackhawks, you know, trotted out a bunch of guys that I, I really have never heard of. Um, the guy, Buddy Robinson, who scored the goal that made it 2-1, uh, that was his first initial goal of the year. I mean, he's a bit of a journeyman and, and was only in the lineup because the Blackhawks management is, is trying to tank for Connor Bedard. So I think we're talking about two different things here. I mean, you can zoom out and look at the job that Ron Hexall's done and say that, um, you know, he – if he were to be fired, which, you know, I think is likely at this point, if they miss the playoffs, that it would be deserved. But when you look at this game with Crosby and Malkin and Latang, um, you know, all the depth they have, I know it's not as good uh, as a lot of teams, but it was much better than the Blackhawks. Um, you know, this was a game that they needed to win and they just, they squandered it. There's, there's been some wondering that if Mike Sullivan's to blame for some of this, how much weight, if any weight, do you put on him? And is is next year a proven year for him at all? I, I look at him as a multi-time champion for the Penguins and not necessarily someone that I'm looking at, look, looking and saying, hey, this is your fault. Well, he deserves some of the blame for sure on a couple of fronts. I mean, we got to state he, he could only work with what Ron Hextel gave him, and it wasn't a good enough supporting cast. The goaltending was an issue, and, and that ultimately is what did them in. But on a couple of fronts, I, I think Sullivan can be criticized. Um, you know, one, this is the league's oldest team. They have, I think, 14 of the 20 guys who were in uniform last night are 28 or older. Nine of them maybe have won the Stanley Cup at least once, a bunch of them twice. So this is a very experienced team. And I think some of the blame goes to Sullivan that, that we've seen so many lapses from this group, whether it's goals late in periods or, or goals in quick succession, um, third period meltdowns. I mean, this is the most you know, blown leads in the third period in the Mike Sullivan era. Mm. And then the other the other area I think you can criticize Sullivan is just we haven't seen flexibility with him in terms of the scheme the Penguins use and how they want to play. I mean, he's still playing. He still wants the Penguins to play like Sidney Crosby, Malkin, you know, Ross Gensel are, are five years younger, and they're not. And the supporting cast is not fast enough either. So they play this puck pursuit game. Go, 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 get in on the four check, pinch up the boards, just constantly put pressure on. And I just don't know that they're equipped to play that way, or at least to win consistently and at a high level playing that way. And we never saw Sullivan tweak that. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the two knocks on Sullivan. I mean, if they have a new general manager, um, you know, that could dictate whether Sullivan comes back. But I do know Fenway Sports Group likes Sullivan, thinks he's a good coach, thinks he's a good spokesman for the organization as well. So I do expect Sullivan to be back. But, um, you know, there's got to be changes in terms of their philosophy and the way they play. And they also got to figure out why they just blew so many leads and had so many just maddening meltdowns this year. I hear that. It's not over, even though a lot of people think it is. But this Penguins do need help now. They need the Montreal Canadiens to beat the New York Islanders tonight on 4-1-2 day, uh, Wednesday night uh, in in New York. Matt, how much of a chance is there even for that to happen? Because the Canadiens, like the Blackhawks, are one of the worst teams in the NHL right now. Yeah, the key thing here is they have to they have to lose in regulation. So even if the Islanders get it to overtime and lose, the Pens are done because the Islanders have the tiebreaker. So, yeah, I mean, crazy things have happened. 
Um, you know, the Capitals beat the Islanders a couple nights ago, missing a bunch of guys. Um, the Blackhawks put up a, a good fight against the Penguins. I mean, these teams are depleted. Um, we're seeing some shenanigans going on with, I mean, this is a, a very strong draft at the top. So we're seeing teams, um, you know, try to shut down players and things like that. But the mm-hmm. guys who are on the ice still care and they have a lot to play for many of them. Um, whether it's young players or guys like this Buddy Robinson guy who's trying to earn a spot next year. So the the teams might want to tank, but that doesn't mean the players are on board with it. So you never, ne- never say never. Maybe Montreal, a young team kind of rises up and, um, you know, beats the Islanders. But yeah, it seems pretty unlikely that, that that's going to happen. I mean, we'll see. But it, I mean, it would take a loss in regulation for the Islanders for the Penguins to still have hope. And even then, they still have to go to Columbus and take care of business. And, um, you know, as we've seen, um, you know, whenever things start to go their way, it seems like that's when the Penguins are at their worst. Well, uh, that that was the next thing I was going to ask uh, uh, before we head out of here and, and move to the Pirates. But um, you know, looking at them traveling to Columbus, they, they they'll they'll be doing that Thursday. Let's say all goes well, the miracle happens, Montreal wins, and the dream is alive thir- Thursday night. What do the Penguins have to do to avoid falling into another pitfall against another one of the worst teams in the, in the NHL in the Blue Jackets? I mean, I honestly thought the Penguins played pretty well other than the, those two goals in quick succession there in the third period. I mean, they generated a ton of chances. I know the power play was one for four, one for five or something like that, but the power play was really good. Defensively, they played a good game other than that one minute. I mean, I think they only allowed two odd man rushes, maybe nine shots from the slot, which are, are good marks. Um, and it, it was a carryover from where they played in their previous two games. It just came down to the fact that they couldn't score. Um, they started to get tense and things unravel from there. So if they get another chance, um, I think if they play the same way and simply put the puck in the net and, and get a save or two from Tristan Jari, I think they'll be all right. But, um, you know, as I stated earlier and, and we've said before, it's like there's just something with this team, though. It seems like something will always go wrong. But I actually think they played pretty well for the most part against the Blackhawks. And if they can replicate that, if they get another miss one game, um, you know, I like their chances and I think the Penguins would as well. Absolutely. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, Matt, thank you for all the great coverage you've done all season and continue to do for, for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you want to get all, all his coverage along with Andrew Destin, check out post-gazette.com. They'll be following things up. We'll see after Wednesday night. Are the Penguins still alive? And if they are, what do they got to do in Columbus to win? We'll talk about that on, probably on Friday after all that's said and done right here at the North Shore Drive podcast. But we got to switch to something that happened in positive in Pittsburgh sports. The Pirates won again against the world champion Astros. We'll talk about what happened there with Jason Mackey right here on the North Shore Drive podcast. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're back here on the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We're joined now by Jason Mackey, our Pirates beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We just talked Penguins, who brought some sadness with their disappointing loss, but the Pirates brought a lot of joy to PNC Park last night. It was crazy. G1 Bay with the walk-off home run that was in spectacular fashion. Jason, last like, whereas fans get really excited about last-second wins and dramatic comeback, sometimes as writers, that can be a challenge because then you could have a whole story that you now have to throw away and then write this whole new thing that you have based off of a dramatic moment. But that was a heck of a scene at the ballpark last night. Well, somebody told me way back when, Chris, nobody ever wants to hear a sports writer complain, and I try to live by that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not complaining. Now, logistically, was I a little bit rushed last night? That's okay. That's all right. I'll take that every time. 
um, especially when you have a game like last night where you have 9 billion things to write about, man. I mm-hmm. love it. G1 Bay Power. I thought Mitch Keller, after he gives up two home runs, settles down, gives him a great outing. Um, even little stuff I wrote about, like the sixth inning, um, Key Brian Hayes steals third base with one out, puts himself in, in you know even better scoring position, brings into play a sacrifice fly, Kanan Smith and Jigba, a total professional at bat, gets a fly ball to the outfit. Like that's what winning teams do, man. Like that looks foreign to people in Pittsburgh because they haven't had winning teams and haven't played that kind of baseball. But, you know, I really like the kind of ball they're playing. They're exciting. They do a lot of different things. Obviously losing O'Neill Cruz stinks. We'll talk about that. But I love the blend of like young guys and energy and old guys and sort of perspective and knowing that, hey, a couple home runs, you're not out of it. Like, let's keep going. Keep going. It's okay. Bad game. Doesn't matter. Wash it. You know, you're going to lose some. Get it the next day. Like they've got a really nice perspective there. How is G1 Bay coming along for, for the for the Pirates right now? He had that huge home run. I also like the touch of he noted back, I think it was the 2015 walk-off home run that McCutcheon had in the yeah. 14th inning. He noted how, like, I saw how he came in, he slammed on home plate, and I wanted to do the same thing in my celebration when I did it. I was like, that's pretty cool to see that kind of chemistry for a new guy that, that's coming to the system. Um, chemistry, awareness, fun, speed, performance art. I don't, you could call it a lot of different things, right? <laughs> like he's so fun, dude. He's so fun to be around. He's a good kid. Um, I love the way he plays the game. Um, to me, I, maybe I'm old. Like I love seeing leadoff hitters who run, who, who can slap the ball the other way, can s- steal bases. He plays a great center field. He's got more power, obviously, as we saw there, we saw in Boston. Um, I don't particularly care if he uses it. Like I'm fine with him slapping the ball, run a little bit and just be exciting and set the table. Um, but he does that and he infuses energy in guys. Um, we were talking to Derek Shelton last night about G1 being the spotlight. And he's like, yep, I think he's one of those guys that just kind of likes it. Um, you know, and Brian Reynolds is like the total opposite of that, right? Like he's a great player, but he's his own breed and isn't, you know, th- doesn't really dig being the center of attention. I think G1 Bay does and it's fun. And I love to see it when you get stuff like last night. Plus, you had the first time two Korean players for the same team hit a home run uh, in this in the same game with G-Man Choi also h- hitting a home run. You also had Jack Sawinski. And Jason, what has been the resilience of this Pirates team? Not just from the start of the season when they they lost their opening series, but now they're they're seven and four. They've won six of their last eight. And, and I, we'll get to Cruz in a second, but like that was a huge blow that like you lost the guy that you know was in many ways one of the faces of your team. Yeah, I mean, it's coming from all angles at this point, Chris. Um, I could point to a lot of different things, and I will. But, I mean, the Cruz angle was a big blow. I, let's not take out of the equation the fact that they're playing the Houston Astros, the defending World Series champs. Um, Framber Valdez on Monday night of this series was outstanding, and that's what he does. Like, he just put the ball on the ground. They couldn't do anything. Okay, and sort of what I talked about a little bit ago with, like, the veterans and saying, okay, forget about that. It's a new day. Let's move on. And they did that. And you're also facing Christian Javier, who is just like Valdez, like an elite pitcher who shined in the World Series, um, and they had a great approach against him. And, and just, I don't, I don't know if this team is like too naive to realize what it can be. Maybe it is. I think there's a lot of exuberance, and I think it's just a nice blend between, like, G1 Bay had a quote to this end, like it's a lot of excitement coming from the young guys. And they're, they're athletic and they want to be there and they're really embracing the opportunity. And then you have older guys who are telling them what to do with that. Um, and there's a swagger developing with this group. Really, Chris, I, I don't know if you want to credit Andrew McCutcheon. Like he's part of it. 
G-Man Choi is such a goofball. Cut up. You saw him with the sword in the dugout. Like, yeah, like that's all hilarious. All of that. That's what good teams have. It's hilarious. Um, and Rich Hill, I know he hasn't pitched well, but like he's a very nice, calming perspective giver. Like that's like you need dudes like that too. Like he's he's going to help this young pitching staff. I think he's going to pitch better. Uh, but anyway, you've got different guys at different checkpoints who have been really helping that. What is how has the team taken the loss uh, of uh, of Cruz? Because I look at that, and that was just a, a, a scary moment when yep. when you when you when you have when you lose your 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 top player, then you know, the the catcher yelling at him, um, and uh, and I you, you see that, and then of course like you know everyone's thinking like man like that was he was the guy this year he was going to be the guy that like you know this was going to be the year where he could break out even more you know the, not just high velocity but now consistency in hitting maybe better you know play in the field how have they responded to losing the guy for now as we've as you've reported four months is you know that's basically the season yeah it's a brutal one Chris it really is and it was an ugly injury um and obviously you worry about Cruz's ankle right with his speed and power long term I don't I don't think it's going to have a a major effect I talked to Jason Kendall about this he had something similar but you're talking about modern medicine you're talking about a guy that has exceeded expectations in every other facet of his life I I think Cruz is going to be just fine but how the team has handled it I mean, they were emotionally shaken the first night. I, I talked to G1 Bay about that, and he said he and Rodolfo Castro watched Cruz get wheeled past them on a cart, and they were, like, almost in tears, you know, feeling so bad for the guy, where he was at and what was taken from him and what was expected from him. And it is going to be basically a, a lot of the season, Chris. I don't want to say the whole season, um, but, you know, he's talking about 30-30, 40-40. Like, those are gone, obviously. You, you expected, like, this big, massive breakout season for him. That's gone. Um, I'm sure I've I've gone through a couple significant injuries in my life. Like, not that it's the same thing, but you wonder if you're ever going to be the same. You wonder if the expectations that were previously placed on you were going to disappear. So anyway, like emotionally shaken might be a good way to put it, but I also like how they've channeled it. You know, a lot of guys have talked about, we're going to do it for Cruzy. We're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. keep this thing afloat for O'Neal. So he has something to come back to. And he's, he's, he loved in that clubhouse for perfectly good reason. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can use his injury as a motivating factor. Well, O'Neal Cruz certainly uh, was a motive, was a motivator with how good he was playing. And if the team is still being motivated to win for him, that's pretty awesome. But the the Pirates in in their situation right now they uh, as the, as we're recording this you're at the ballpark right now at PNC Park in the background right there um, and you're you know you're you're looking at you got a twelve thirty five uh, first pitch game against the Astros to wind up the series where the Pirates are one and one with them right now but then they head to St Louis what's your outlook for the for the next for the next couple series they finish off against Houston today they got four games against the Cardinals and then they go to Colorado uh where the Rockies that that's been a house of horror for the franchise for quite some time how do you see them taking on these next two road trips well Chris I think it's really interesting what's going to happen in St Louis because I mean you can look at what has happened thus far and you can say okay well in Boston's kind of a mess they might finish last in the AL East honestly like Chicago is enduring some tough times or whatever. And if they lose today, they've taken one of three from the Astros. Okay, so what? I, I don't know how much can be gleaned from playing unfamiliar opponents in baseball. Like, I still think mm-hmm. you can sort of chalk it up to randomization. Well, here we go. Let's say they beat the Astros, but even if they don't, you're going to take this hot start, a 7-5 and five record or 8-4, and four, whatever it ends up being. You're going to take it to St. Louis in a place that knows you well. You know them well. You're competing for the same thing. You have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get from that group. Even, you know, I know Adam Wainwright's out, but I, 
you understand what the Cardinals are. The Cardinals and the Brewers are the standard right now in the NL Central. I think that means a lot. And then you look at the the Rocky series. I mean, you know, if they split in St. Louis, uh, you know, you'd obviously love three or four. But if they split in St. Louis, then what are you going to do in Colorado? Are you going to come back with a winning road trip? They certainly can. I think they can play better ball than Colorado. I don't know if I would say on paper they're a better team than them, but Colorado is certainly not unbeatable. So, I mean, I – I look at the type of ball they're playing, man, and if they're doing that stuff, if they're doing little things, if they're getting solid bullpen work, um, if they're making the plays in the field, which has been somewhat inconsistent. We saw it with Rudy Castro in the ninth inning. Again, they bounced back nice from that. Um, you need better pitching from Rich Hill, Vince Velasquez, but they've gotten it from Oviedo. They've gotten it at times from Rowe. So anyway, I mean, there, there are ingredients there that the Pirates are capable of bringing out. We're not asking for them to do something that they're not capable of doing. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting series and say a lot about where they are, where they are. Absolutely. The best place to get coverage of those series is right here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette with Jason Mackey, who's our man on the Pirate Speed. Again, check in with him because at the post-gazette.com, he'll have all the rundowns on how this this series with the, the world champion Houston Astros finishes out. 12.35 is first pitch. Rich Hill on the mound for the Pirates. We'll have everything here. Jason, thanks again for joining us. Thank you also to Matt Fensel for talking hockey and Ray Fittipato for talking Steelers. There's a lot more that we got to talk about. We'll wrap things up on Friday. Will the Penguins make the playoffs and, and do the unthinkable needing help from the Canadians. Will the Steelers, have they signed Bud Dupree right then? We'll see what, what happens. But all that and more right here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Thanks again for checking out the North Shore Drive podcast. We'll see you on Friday. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the North Shore Drive podcast of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, click the link down below in the description. Llegaron los Propane Days a Lowe's. Desde ahora hasta el 16 de junio, los miembros MVPs de Lowe's reciben un 20% de reembolso en pintura con una tarjeta de regalo electrónica de Lowe's por compras de pinturas elegibles de 100 dólares o más. Lleva la nueva y exclusiva pintura HGTV Home de Sherwin-Williams Specrite para interiores. Lowe's sabe de pros. Aplican exclusiones, restricciones y más términos. Visita Lowe's.com diagonal L diagonal Pro Loyalty Terms. Sujeto a cambios.